Tonight we'll be looking at the last message in our series on the Beatitudes. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles at this time to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 tonight. Matthew chapter 5. As we've been looking at the Beatitudes of Christ, which begins his Sermon on the Mount, which runs from chapter 5 of Matthew all the way through the end of chapter 7, we have been going almost verse by verse, looking at the different Beatitudes, which begin in verse number 3 and go on into verse number 12, which is where we'll be looking at here tonight. And we've been mentioning that each of these kind of build upon each other. Uh, and it's almost likened to a ladder where you have to start on the first step and just work your way up and you're working your way up in spiritual maturity. Uh, it started with those that were poor in spirit and that's the first step of the ladder. And then from there it goes to those that mourn and then those that are meek and then they which hunger and thirst after righteousness and then the merciful and so on and so forth as you're going one step up the ladder. And I mentioned that as we're climbing in spiritual maturity, we're also coming down the ladder in submission before God. Uh, so we're, we're growing closer to God, but the closer we get to God, the more we end up humbling ourselves before him. So as we're climbing up, we're also essentially descending down the ladder. So tonight, as we look at that final step, so whether you're looking at it, that final step at the top of the ladder or the final step coming down the bottom of the ladder, uh, we're looking at the final verses here in the Beatitudes, uh, verses 10 through 12, in a sermon that I've titled, Rejoicing in Persecution. Rejoicing in persecution. Living in the comforts of America, I think, has caused many Christians to believe that the persecution of the church is something that we can only read about in history books. That Christians are not being persecuted uh, to the extent today, or today, to the extent that they once were in years past. Uh, due to the fact that we live in a free country and are free to gather for worship without threat of persecution, we come to expect that most, if not all, Christians around the world get to enjoy the same privileges that we do here, that they all have a building to gather in, that they may freely come and go as they please, that no one's threatening them if they are found out to be attending a church and, and preaching the gospel. And I think in many ways, we, we kind of live in a bubble here in America. And though there are signs, little signs here and there of, in this country of religious persecution getting worse, we rarely understand the degree of religious persecution that is happening around the world. Therefore, we hardly consider religious persecution as a present day and modern issue. Studies have shown, though, that Christians are persecuted much more severely today than in any time in history. More Christians are being martyred today than has ever been happened before in the, in the world. We have missionaries, uh, some of which, if you can take a look on the missions board that we have outside, some are, are serving in parts of the world where they're forced to kind of keep things hush-hush. They're forced to gather in secret because of uh, threats of persecution. There are Christians in the Middle East who are, are not just forbidden to worship God, but they are beaten and often killed for doing so. All across the world, such religious persecution is seen, and while it may have begun many years ago, it is escalated at, with each passing year. And though you as a Christian living in America today uh, may not see any great degree of persecution as long as you live here, most likely you won't, don't be so naive to think that it isn't happening in other parts of our country and in other parts of the world. 
It is for this reason why it is so important to be praying for our missionaries, both on, on foreign soil as well as domestically here in America. Wherever the word of God is taken, you can guarantee that it is going to be opposed. Wherever a word from God is spoken, you can guarantee that it is going to be challenged. So be active in praying for our missionaries as they're faithfully serving God in the face of opposition. Our passage this evening deals specifically with how believers can be rejoicing in the midst of all of that persecution. Follow along in your Bibles as I read verses 10 through 12 here in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I came across a story of a missionary named Jenny Adams, who had been serving, in, serving the Lord in Peru as a missionary with Baptist mid-missions. She'd been serving in Peru for 34 years and faithfully ministering as a teacher at a mission, uh, missions Bible school and in several of the remote villages there in Peru. And she drove her own van and gave uh, passengers rides into town and to the school on a regular basis. And one day, she offered a ride to a young woman who had previously attended that mission school that she had taught at. Little did Jenny Adams know that this young woman's brother was a cocaine processor who frequently used his sister to transport drugs for her, or for him. Jenny Adams was arrested with more than three kilos of cocaine in her vehicle. And under the Peruvian law, a person is guilty until they're proven innocent. In her case, the, the press was very quick to exploit the story to discredit foreign missionaries altogether. The newspapers dubbed her the cocaine missionary, and her long years of service for the community were just completely ignored. After 20 days of imprisonment, Jenny Adams was released, but not until the work of her mission had suffered from all sorts of false witnesses. She was innocent of all charges, but you know what? It didn't matter. She was persecuted anyways. And this is the reality of the world that we live in today. Despite the fact that you may be completely free of any charges, the appearance of any impropriety can damage your name and discredit all that you've done. No one ever wants something like this to happen to them. And no one ever wants to be in a position like that specific missionary. But what Christ tells us here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, is that even in the midst of persecution, Christians have still a reason to be joyful. It's hard to imagine that as your credibility and as your image is completely getting destroyed and just dragged through the mud, that you will still have a cause to rejoice. But we will see how this indeed is possible and how it in fact should be the response for every Christian who is facing persecution. Why we struggle to understand the words of Christ is because every one of us, I think deep down, we all want to be liked by everyone. If we hear that someone doesn't like us, it doesn't sit well with us. We want to figure out why. Why does this person not like us? And then maybe we try and go through all the effort to get the person to like us, and it's all to no avail, but we at least can say, at least we tried. But deep down, we want to be liked by the people that are in our lives. 
It can almost upset us when people attack us for, for doing what is right because that seems to be kind of the opposite reaction of what we should have received. When we do what is right and when we do what is good, we expect to be rewarded for it. Sometimes even praised by our fellow man, man but, but the reality is, is quite the opposite when it comes to our service and our work for God. The world is and has been opposed to God and his work. And when Christians stand apart for the Lord, no amount of good work is ever going to be praised by the world. But the world will rather find a reason to persecute you. At times we wish that the world would at least be respectful of our beliefs and our position and the work that we're striving to do for God. But even that is, is very hard to come by. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, Christians are persecuted today persecuted today more than they've ever been. And the more we read the word of God, and this truth really should not surprise us, there are countless examples all throughout the Bible of believers that are being persecuted for their faith in God, for their service to God, for their worship for God. And such examples serve to remind us that persecution is nothing new. It's been going on since the very beginning, since the first believer was standing for God until where we are here in 2023. This nothing new. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.12, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Expect it. Don't be surprised when it happens. If you're living the way that God has called you to live, don't be surprised when people oppose you. Don't be surprised when people mock you and ridicule you and try to persecute you. It should be expected. This is not just a possible outcome for those believers that are honoring God with their lives. The Bible says it's a guaranteed outcome. They shall, it says, suffer persecution. So don't be surprised when the world stands against you when you continue to make a stand to live for Christ. In 2 Timothy 3.13, the very next verse, it goes on to say, it says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You think it's bad now? The Bible says it's going to continue to get worse. It's not as if we're, we're on this downward trend where Christians are being persecuted a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less. It is progressively getting worse. The longer you serve the Lord, the harder and more severe the persecution should be expected. But listen to what the Apostle Paul said right before these two verses that I read to you. So I just read 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13. But listen to what he says in verses 10 and 11. In 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, he says this, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and notice this, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. He says, you know what I've encountered. You know the things that I've endured. It's been documented how much I was persecuted in these various cities. And he says, the one thing that I can tell you about it all is that the Lord was with me and the Lord delivered me through all of those things. And so he says that, and then he says, expect it to come your way. Expect that when you're living the way God intends you to live, that it is going to happen to you as well. Now, in his case, again, each of those persecutions, the Lord physically delivered him. But there are many Christians who the Lord delivers from such persecution by bringing them to their eternal home. And that is every way a deliverance, believe me. Jesus declared in Luke 12 and verse number four, Luke 12, verse four, he said, and I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. 
Many believers have taken those words of Christ to heart, not fearing even the worst of what their persecutors could do unto them, because even in their death, many believers have glorified God and they've received the greatest reward by being ushered into the glories of heaven. No matter how it comes, we must be certain that persecution is going to accompany a godly life. Jesus was persecuted along with his disciples. All throughout the book of Acts, we read of the disciples turning the world upside down as they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Now listen to one account in the ministry of the Apostle Paul and Silas as they were preaching the gospel in Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 17, and this is a lengthier portion of scripture, but listen to the first eight verses in Acts chapter 17. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, saying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Paul and Silas were just on fire for God, and everywhere they're going, they're preaching the gospel. And there in Thessalonica, it got so intense that a group of individuals were so upset about what was being done that they actually formed this massive mob to go and to, you know, try and do everything they can to stop this message of going forth. And so they, they go to the man who they know that Paul and Silas were staying at, his house, Jason, and they beg for them to, to bring the men out, and they're not there. And so they, they go to their leaders and say, there is trouble here, and these two men are at the forefront of it. We need to take care of them and throw them out. They're preaching the gospel. That's all they're doing. They're preaching the gospel. They were leading souls to Christ. And this was causing so much of an uproar. They said that they were turning their world upside down. Because the teachings of Christ are in complete contradiction to a world that is lost in sin. The people of Thessalonica didn't just lose respect for Paul and Silas and all those that were saved. They caused an uproar and they persecuted these people. Everyone who lives godly for Christ Jesus, as 2 Timothy 3.12 says, shall suffer persecution. Expect it to happen. And the sooner we accept that truth, the better off we'll be. But coupled with the acceptance of that truth should be the truth that is expressed in the words of Christ here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 again. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Don't be discouraged, but be encouraged when you're being persecuted. 
Now, before we look at the reasons we have to be encouraged and the reasons we have to rejoice, let's identify the reasons why persecution occurs in the first place. It needs to be understood that the type of persecution that Jesus speaks of here is persecution, he says in verse number 10, for righteousness' sake. The kind of persecution that comes from living a God-honoring life. Don't make the mistake in assuming that every one of your troubles are forms of persecution. Because many times, we're troubled for our own sin, for our own bad choices, for our own mistakes that we make. In such cases, you really don't have reason to rejoice in those things. For that does not qualify as being persecuted for righteousness' sake. That is more persecution for foolishness' sake. And that type of persecution, you had it coming. We, we deserve that. We have a very stern warning given to us for such occasions. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 15, 1 Peter 4, 15 says, but let none of you, and the context here is speaking to believers. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. We can get ourselves into all sorts of trouble by doing all the wrong things, even if we're doing these things with the best intentions. If you're suffering for doing something wrong, don't be looking to claim the promise of joy that Christ speaks of here in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 10 through 12. To be persecuted for righteousness' sake means that you are hated, means that you are opposed, means that you're persecuted because you're living for Jesus because you're actually honoring him and walking according to his will. Many Christians face persecution in their workplace. Many face it in their school. Many face it in social situations out in the world. And the reason we face persecution, living for Christ, is because we live in a world that is so opposed to Christ. And Satan seeks to attack and persecute Christians whenever they're standing for God and representing him. Many times we see persecution without even having to open our mouth and say anything. We're persecuted just by the way that we act. We're persecuted by the way that we react. We're persecuted by the things that we refuse to partake in. The world doesn't like those who are different than they are. And the world wants us to be just like them. And when we're not, they do what they can to often express their displeasure with us. During my, my college years, I was working uh, full-time and in a retail position. And the job wasn't really difficult. Anyone could have done it. But I was forced to work around people who, despite all my efforts, um, they made it known to me that they were unsaved and they were not shy about it and kind of annoyed at the fact that I was a believer. I usually kept to myself and did my work while interacting, unfortunately, with as few people as possible. But at times, I'd be mocked for my beliefs. And again, I, I would share my beliefs when I had the opportunity to do so. But for the most part, everyone made it clear that they wanted nothing to do with what I had to say. So I just did what I was told. I came in, I clocked in, I worked, and I just tried to do the best that I can during the time that I was there. And some of them would make fun of me because of the things that I would do or the things that I would say or how I would react to different search situations. And, and some of my coworkers, I remember, were shocked that I could believe such things about God. And it's funny because just doing what I was told to do opened up many opportunities for me to witness to them because they'd see me respond or react to a certain situation that was completely the opposite of how they would have handled the situation. They'd come to me and say, well, why did you handle it this way? What made you not just 
let your mouth and the words fly out of your mouth and curse and use every sort of you know, foul language that everyone else was using or would have used during that circumstance. And so I had opportunities to, to witness to them. And when I did, they were blown away that I could ever have a view about God that I did. And I was called every name in the book for, for having such a view. And when some of them realized that the name calling had no effect on me, they started attacking my work ethic. And due to the fact that I just kept ignoring them and just tried to do what I was told and get the work done, I was looking better in the eyes of my boss than they were because they spent more time making fun of me than they did actually working. And I realized that time goes much faster when I just stayed focused and stayed occupied with what I was needing to do rather than spending my time arguing or arguing or fighting against them uh, with what they were saying against me. So I just went about my work and just clocked in, clocked out, did my thing. And I ended up making such an impression that the negligence and the poor work ethic of my immediate superior was noticed. And that's when it really became difficult. And because this, his focus shifted to me along with all of his frustrations. And the hardest thing for me to do was to bite my tongue and just keep working. Because there was many days where my flesh wanted to say a whole bunch of things. And I wanted to react in a, in a physical way because I have limits. And I was being pushed to many of those limits. But I remember there's a testimony that I have to maintain. And it was difficult at times. I have times I drive into work and, and not want to be there. And count down the minutes until I could clock out and get out of there as quickly as I could. Um, but the Lord spared me during those days and helped keep my mouth closed when I wanted to say a lot of things. So I got a, a small taste, a very, very, very small taste of being persecuted as I was seeking to honor God in my workplace. No one wants that. No one wants to have to go through that. No one wants to be laughed at and ridiculed and mocked for what you believe in. And I can tell you, I, I wasn't thrilled to be in that workplace. It was a job. It was something that uh, put money uh, in our bank account and helped me put food on the table. But I know the Lord used that time to train and strengthen me for future use. And, and persecution in any form, and this is, I feel like it's even kind of ridiculous to even call that persecution based on what a lot of believers see out in the rest of the world. But persecution in any form is no fun. But Jesus does make it clear that persecution for his sake is always a cause for rejoicing. But before we see that side of it, let's now look at the realities of persecution. And notice our passage once more. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Right there in verse number 11, Jesus describes the reality of persecution, and he uses three ideas in verse number 11. He says, men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Three ideas. To revile, that literally means to have things thrown in your face. The best example of this we have is of Jesus when he was on the cross. Some of those onlookers made so much fun of him, mocking him with vile and malicious words. When the people of the world find out that we're believers, it's not just a matter of them not wanting to be around us anymore. 
we often are mocked and we're ridiculed and we'll be made a laughingstock of that group that maybe we were once a part of. What we'll find is that people will say cruel things about us just as they said against Jesus when he was on the cross. Don't let this attitude of the world discourage you at all. Again, this is what we should come to expect as believers. Why should we expect anything different? When we live openly for Christ, non-believers, they don't understand the reason why we live this way. They don't understand the reason why we set certain convictions and standards for ourselves, the things that we're doing in our homes, the things that we're teaching our kids to do. And we will always look strange to them because it's always going to be in opposition to what they say is okay and normal. And listen, though, to what we're told. Back in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. The Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. It's going to be strange to the rest of the world, but don't think it's strange when it happens to you. The second description that is used by Christ was that we will be persecuted. So he says, men shall revile you, and then second, they're going to persecute you. People of the world will attack us because they are evil and we're striving to be good. And evil is in a battle against good for all of eternity. This has been the case. This shouldn't surprise you one bit because this has been the case since the very beginning, since sin first entered the picture, this has always been the case. Evil has been pitted against good. The very first sibling rivalry ended in murder as Cain's works were evil and his brother Abel's were righteous. Joseph was persecuted by his 12 brothers and were it not for Reuben taking a slight stand, Joseph was, he would have been murdered. Instead, he was only sold into slavery. Moses was reviled. The prophet Samuel was rejected. The prophet Elijah was despised. Even Nehemiah was oppressed. Jesus, the very one who should never have been persecuted, the Son of God came and entered humanity, was put to death by the very people that he came to save. Stephen, in the, in the book of Acts, was stoned to death for preaching the word of God. John and Peter were thrown into prison for also preaching the word of God. The apostle James was beheaded for preaching Christ. All the apostles were martyred for their preaching of Christ except for the apostle John who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Why was it that all these people suffered, that all these people were persecuted? Why is it that many Christians today and throughout history have been persecuted? Because of one thing. Because they were striving to do right in the eyes of God. Because they were faithful to stand with Christ in the face of opposition. Many new believers have been given this false sense of, of Christianity. That it is going to be a life of smooth sailing. That when you get on board with Christ, that you can forget all the problems. That it is going to be a carefree life. And if you're ever opposed, if any negativity comes your way, they're told that God will shield you so that you never have to experience it at all. And when this is your mindset, you're going to become so discouraged, so dejected at the very first sign of rejection or persecution because it is the last thing that you were expecting to face. Persecution, though, is the reality for every single believer. I don't care how young or old you are, expect it to happen when you're living the way that Christ has called you to live. One that we should not think it's strange when it happens. 
but should look to rejoice when we're counted worthy to suffer for Christ. The disciples in Acts chapter 5, when they were beaten and thrown in prison, they were rejoicing for being counted worthy to suffer like Christ did. The third description that we see there in verse number 11, again, the first is men shall revile you, shall persecute you. The second and the third is they shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. It's truly amazing to see how creative people can get when they're making up lies about Christians. The unsaved of the world will go to incredible lengths to fabricate stories in order to make Christians look bad. They will exaggerate details so that the testimony of Christians are completely destroyed. Whatever they can do to damage the name of Christ, they are going to do it. We see it on television where those who claim to be Christians practice certain things in their lives that no Christian should ever practice. We see pastors portrayed in such a negative light so that the viewing public is left to believe that every Christian and every pastor is exactly the same. The entertainment world seems to be making a living out of bad-mouthing believers, but what's truly sad is when you see things like that happen in the church. It's heartbreaking to see church members put so much energy into painting another church member into a negative light. The persecution is bad enough that we're going to face from the outside. The last thing the church needs is to be suffering persecution from within its own walls. When we ought to be more focused on edifying and building one another up as the body of Christ, many of us are concentrating more effort to tear one another down, and we can be pretty creative in doing so. We allow sometimes the smallest little details to get under our skin. And rather than understanding that a fellow church member has committed themselves to one another, to building up of the body of Christ in their their specific skill set, we seek to attack and we seek to persecute. Life is hard enough outside the walls of this building. Life is hard enough out in the world. Rather than spending our time trying to make someone else's life miserable, we should be seeking to strengthen the bond that we have here within the body of Christ for the persecution that is sure to be coming from the outside. As much as persecution is a reality for the believer, the good news is that we're told here in verse number 12 that we have reason to rejoice when it comes. Again, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You may not always have control over the situation that you're in, but we do have control over how we respond to each type of persecution. You may not be able to determine what the outcome will be but you can determine what your attitude will be. At the beginning of Matthew 5 and verse 11, Jesus said this. He said, Blessed are ye when. Blessed are ye when. And then he lists the three different forms of persecution that we will see. And then notice how he immediately follows that up in verse number 12. He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. You are blessed when you see persecution in all forms and it's your responsibility to receive that, he says, with rejoicing and exceeding gladness. That reaction seems almost the opposite of what we would have. But Christ tells us that there are rewards for which we should be rejoicing. So look at persecution as a compliment. If someone is persecuting you, it means that they have taken you seriously and look upon you as a challenge to themselves. 
People don't persecute someone who they, they don't care about. They persecute people who are effective in what they're doing and can threaten their own personal advancement. So the next time you're being persecuted, take a moment and consider the one that you are being persecuted by because they actually think you are so good at what you're doing that they feel threatened by you. When you're persecuted for righteousness sake, as Jesus describes, it's also a validation that you're doing as you should be doing. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, Jesus was sending out his 12 apostles and in preparing them for the things that they would encounter as they go out, he said this in Matthew 10 verse 22, he said, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. How would you like him to say that to you? I'm sending you out and you're gonna be hated by everyone. Every person that you encounter is going to despise you. The prophet Ezekiel was told the same thing. You're going to a rebellious house. They're not going to want to hear you. They don't want to hear me. This is how it's going to be. Samuel was rejected. So many people in history were rejected for doing as Christ told them to do. And he says, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Jesus is the Lord of all creation. And we as Christians, as believers, are his followers, but we are looked down upon in the eyes of the world because the world hates him. When the Lord walked on this earth, the world hated him and didn't understand him. And as his followers, expect to have the same treatment. You can read through the rest of the New Testament and find that all of those who followed Christ faithfully, they suffered in the name of Christ. You can trace Christians throughout history and you will find that they've been persecuted from the moment they declared their faith in Christ. All of this persecution, though, serves as validation that we are Christ's witnesses, that we're serving him and living for him in the midst of a world that hates him. Now, it's still hard, though, at times. I'm not going to say it's easy. Because we get tired of the constant opposition. We're often tempted to just keep our mouth shut and not reveal the fact that we're a believer because, you know what, I'm tired of people treating me poorly, so I'm just going to fly under the radar and not let anyone know that I'm a believer. At times, we're even tempted to compromise on some of our standards and convictions so as to not give any sort of clue that we're a believer. Whatever the circumstances may be, don't ever compromise your standards. Don't ever compromise on your convictions with the intent to avoid persecution. Rather, understand that any persecution that you receive for righteousness' sake, for living for Christ, is a validation that you're doing what God has called you to do and you're honoring him in that. You may not be identifying with your boss. You may not be identifying with your coworkers or your friends or anyone else for that matter, but you're identifying with Christ and that is all that is important because one day every single one of us are gonna be accountable to one person and it's not your boss, it's not a coworker, it's not a friend, it's not a relative, it is the Lord Almighty. He's the one that we're gonna to have to stand before and give an account to. We also see that persecution brings about a positive effect. Some of the best lessons that we learn in life are the ones that we have learned through challenging times. You would think that we would learn the best through all the good and all the positive things that happen to us, but the opposite, the opposite is actually true. Listen to what we see in Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 through 5. Romans 5 through 3 through 5, the Bible says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation 
worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. No one looks forward to going through hard times, but it's generally the case that in those hard times, God is strengthening you the most. He is working on you the most and teaching you some of the best lessons that you're going to learn over the course of your entire life. When you look back on your life, it's usually during those times of persecution and affliction and trouble that you grew the most and were drawn to Christ the closest. Persecution may not be something that any of us are outwardly seeking. None of us go out of our way to try and get it, or you shouldn't at least. But it is what should be expected when we're walking in the path of Christianity. Persecution, you can look at it as the growing pains of the Christian. And without persecution, there is no reward. Without times of suffering, no glory can really be experienced. Listen to what we're told in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 10. The Bible says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. God's purpose is to perfect us for our heavenly reward that is waiting for us as believers. And that perfection, it comes by way of persecution. So may we rejoice in persecutions, knowing that God is using them for our good. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we have in Scripture of how we should look at persecution. Lord, it's not certainly something that comes natural to us. None of us want it to happen, but Lord, as we understand how you use persecution, especially those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, how you use those times of persecution, Lord, to strengthen us and to equip us for future glory. Lord, we thank you for those times, especially as we're able to look back upon them. Lord, I pray that you would give us a proper mindset, that when persecution come, when trouble arises, Lord, even if we know that we may not be able to control the outcome, help us, Lord, to control our attitude and to look at these situations as an opportunity for us to rejoice and be exceeding glad. Lord, you have done all things for us and you continue to work all things for our good. You've never given us a reason to doubt what you're doing. So may we be steadfast in our confidence and our trust in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.